Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. And on today's episode, we wanted to discuss and bring up the issue of Christian ethics And we have a very special guest with us on today's episode. We have Professor Scott Ray, and he is dean of the faculty at Talbot School of Theology as a professor of Christian ethics. Uh, Professor Ray, how are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Uh, to be with you guys. I appreciate it. I just want to get straight to some of the questions we have with everything going on in the news and in our communities I thought it's important for us to highlight and to consider what our actions, um, how important our actions are in terms of what we do in obedience to uh, to the God who saved us. So my first question is, what are ethics? Well, I would distinguish just slightly between ethics and morality. Morality is the, the substance of right and wrong. It's the actual content. Ethics is, uh, in the way I see it, ethics is the means by which we arrive at morality. So ethics has to do with how we discern uh, or discover what, what the moral demands are that God's embedded into the fabric of the universe. Uh, those are clarified in Scripture, of course, but uh, I think from the perspective of a Christian ethic, it's not re- uh, access to Scripture is not required before someone is held accountable to those things that God's embedded into the moral fabric of the universe. That seems to be what Paul is teaching in Romans chapter 2, where he talks about the law being written on our heart. Uh, Even for people who don't have access to the law, they're still accountable to it. Hmm. I appreciate that. The way I'd I'd explain this to my neighbor would be that, uh, you know, adultery is just as wrong for, uh, you know, a non-Christian as it is for a Christian. Uh, you know whether whether you whether you are, you know whether you actually hold to those standards or not is less relevant. Um, so then, um, just want to make sure we get this clear. Are you saying ethics is almost a, a subset of morality? Well, uh, they're two, they're two slightly different things. I wouldn't say it's a subset. Mm-hmm. Ethics is more have, more has to do with the method. Uh, of discovering or discerning. Uh, now, some some people would say ethics is actually the way in which human beings create morality. But from a, a Christian worldview, uh, ethics is something that we discover or discern. It's not fundamentally a human creation. So that I think that's an important distinction to make, that uh, ethics is something that we figure out, mm-hmm. uh, not something we create on our own. Ultimately, I would say, ultimately, from a Christian worldview, morality has a transcendent source. Right, right. And what we do in terms of, uh, and I'm speaking of believers as Christians, what can we do to ascertain if if our belief systems or if our actions are uh, in accordance to God's will? Is is there any tool out there or 
what would you suggest? Well, I think more 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 than anything else, I would suggest just a, reg, a regular immersion in the pages of Scripture um, and some sort of accountability with people who you can't fool. Uh, you know, people who you will allow to, you know, to penetrate this facade that you've built up and allow to call your bluff mm. on things when you're trying to fool them that you're more than, you know, that you're more than you're cracked up to be. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, none of us are everything we're cracked up to be. Right. Uh, and, you know, you need to, you, everybody needs to have a handful of people who you trust uh, in your life who you allow to ask some pretty tough questions about what's going on in your life. Right. Um, you know, it helps if you have, you know, it helps if you're married to that person. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't say it's necessarily restricted to spouses either. Right. Right. Uh, I've I've heard before that we all have blind spots. And uh, uh, and I think that's what you're saying, that we, we, we should really uh, be open and transparent and have people in our lives that can uh, tell us if we're off base a little bit. I put I put it this way. I think that's right. That that I, the way I'd put it is that uh, our capacity for self deception is virtually unlimited. <laughs> I like that. My next question is: um, How should Christians uh, respond to uh, scientific data or arguments that uh, may appear to contradict God's word, such as evolution? Well, uh, you know, I'm not a I'm not a faith and science guy in particular, but uh, as a you know, having some background in philosophy, what I'm, I guess I would my suggestion would be to ensure that science speaks to scientific questions and philosophers speak to philosophical questions, and that uh, we you know when when scientists are making you know, when scientists are jumping fields, mm-hmm. uh, we call them on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for, for example, I was debating a scientist some time ago on, uh, on embryonic stem cell research. And I, I just said, you know, science can't tell us when, you know, when in, in the development of an embryo to a fetus to a baby when you have a full person with rights and protectability. I said, that's not a scientific question. Right. That's a philosophical question. And he actually, he actually agreed with me. You know, I, I nearly fell out of my chair <laughs> when he said that. But as the first scientist I've ever been around who's conceded that point, um, and he, even, I mean, for the scientists to say, you know, that all, 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 you know, all knowledge is that which is scientifically verifiable, you know that statement itself is not scientifically verifiable, right? And so the whole seems to me that that's part of the what we call the, the naturalistic epistemology um, that is self-defeating, right? Um, and so I would I would make science stick to science and let philosophy and theology stick to their appropriate fields. And I appreciate that. One of the reasons. Uh, I ask you that question. I, I deal with so many Christians who automatically assume because someone has a scientific background or they have on a white lab coat that we are ought, we ought to automatically believe their conclusion. 
and that's not necessarily uh, uh, true. And 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 we 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 have to be spiritually savvy enough to do what you, what you just talked about. Well, if I you know if I had a dollar for every you know every scientist who's become an amateur philosopher, <laughs> you know you and you and I could go out for a really nice dinner, right? Uh, and that's I think you know we just have to you know we have to be unabashed about calling people on that, right? You know, and it you know the, the scientist has no more philosophical chops than anybody else does, you know, and the lab coat doesn't help them. Right. Um, so you know now if they're, if they're trained if they're trained in the field then that's different, but uh, lots, lots there's a big difference between being a scientist and a philosopher of science. That is uh, true. Those are those are two very different fields, um, and most my in my experience, most scientists who are not believers take a naturalistic worldview as a matter of faith. Mm. And that that's we we need to we need to we need to call that out for what it is, which is you know, which is a faith commitment. You know, a worldview is fundamentally a, fa- a faith commitment. Right. Uh and I think the what we're what what we're called to do in in our presentation of a Christian worldview is to show that that our faith commitment goes with the evidence and not against it. And this is where I would, I would commend to your listeners the work of Al, uh, the philosopher Alvin Plantinga mm-hmm. in his book, Where the Conflict Really Lies, which is a really enlightening and, and pretty accessible work, too, for a non-specialist. But it's a really enlightening view of how uh, science, as it's, you know, as it's, properly constructed is quite compatible with religious faith. What's not compatible with Christian faith is the underlying worldview of philosophical naturalism, mm-hmm. which says that, you know, all reality is that which is verifiable by our senses. Right. So that, and I think as Plantinga points out, there are, uh, there are some things that, are, that we view as unique to human beings, like consciousness and rationality and morality, that naturalism just has a really hard time explaining. That's um, true. So uh, that's I think that would be a, a resource I think would be worthwhile for your listeners. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we are on air with uh, Professor Scott Ray of Talbot Seminary, uh, and uh, we're going over Christian ethics and what ethics, uh, the origin of ethics is, and he's been explained to us so we can better understand uh, why ethics is important for Christians. My next question, Professor Ray, is what are the main ethical systems in general, and um, which ones should Christians uh, not even be a part of? Well, I think there's uh, there's a handful of ways. The, the way I'd describe it is, is that there are a handful of ways that people in our culture tend to think about right and wrong. Uh, they they think about it either in terms of principles, where it is what's called a deontological view, where things are intrinsically right or wrong, and it's a principle, a thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the opposite of that. I would say would be more of a consequentialist or utilitarian system, where the, the view is that well, it's the result that makes something moral. If it produces a good outcome, then it's moral. Um, 
And then there's a, a version of that, which I don't see very often, but every once in a while it's called ethical egoism, which says the only outcome that matters is self-interest. Mm. And I said, what's, you know, and it's, so it's, for example, it's the, it's the, the young girl with an unwanted pregnancy who says, I'm going to, I'm going to end this pregnancy because continuing will ruin my life. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the view of self-interest. And then, um, yeah, I think it's also very common today for uh, people in our culture to make decisions based on the the, the cultural consensus, what I would call relativism. Okay. Um, and that you reduce that if, if you reduce the size of culture small enough, you get down to a culture of one person, to a view that I call moral subjectivism, which is basically that what our culture says is that people get to make up their own moral rules for themselves. Mm. I'm, and that, that's, I think, the predominant way in which people view morality. I get to make up moral rules for myself. Right. And that works really well until you become a victim of injustice. Right. And then you become a rigid, deontological absolutist. <laughs> I, w- I, was with, I was with a group of high school students talking about this, and I was in the middle of this the session. Right. This this girl sitting in the front row had a brand sparkling new iPhone sitting on her desk and just I just sort of casually as I walked by her desk, I'm continuing with the session, just picked it up and put it in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And she didn't say anything, but at the end she came back to me and said, Well you can you give me my phone back? And I said, Well no, I'm not uh, <laughs> and she said, Well well why not? And I said, Well you said that we make up our own moral rules for ourselves. And as I replied, I said, my moral rules say that people who are older, wiser, and more experienced are entitled to the stuff (laughs) of people who are younger and less experienced. Right. And so I'm not giving you your phone back. Uh Well, she started getting kind of here. I mean, she knew I was just yanking her chain. Right. But what what happened, had I gone more serious with that, she would have been victim, a victim of an injustice, at, at which point she would have said, no, it's just wrong to steal. Right. Which makes her very principle-oriented. Um, Christian ethics, I think, is a combination of commitment to principles and virtues, or character traits, because a deontological, principle-based view doesn't really say enough mm-hmm. for a Christian ethic. Mm-hmm. principle View says the action that matters. Uh, well, the Bible says there's more to it than that because what what kind of person you're becoming is just as important as what kind of things that you do. Hmm. So it's a blend. I said it's a blend of virtues and principles, uh, and that ultimately in a Christian ethic, um, where our the ultimate source for morality is is not God's God's word, but it's God's character. Mm. It's not the. It's not. Uh, let me correct that. It's the, the ultimate source is not God's commands. It's God's character. And the reason we have the commands that we do is because God is the kind of God that He is. Um, you know, fun, fundamentally, yeah, it may be true that love makes the world go round, but that's not the reason we're called to be loving people. We're called to be loving people because that's fundamentally who God is. I love and the that. The result is on top of it. I appreciate that. I I really enjoyed when I was uh, looking through your book uh, entitled Moral uh, Choices, an Introduction to Ethics. Uh You talked about uh, 
ethics and morals and how uh, God is a reflection of God's nature and who he is in terms of why we ought to do the things that we do. So can you touch on that again? You just did, but just yeah. for our listeners. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe another example would, would, would help. Um, the, ultimately, the reason that God commands that we be forgiving people is because it's not, it's not ultimately because forgiveness heals fractured relationships, but it's because God is fundamentally that kind of God. Mm. <clears throat> I think, for example, another example. I think that's why we're called to work, right? Because God is fundamentally in the Scripture seen as a worker, right? With what I would call entrepreneurial traits. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not that doesn't exhaust God's character, mm-hmm. but it's a big part of it, and that's ultimately the reason why His commands have the, 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 the stuff that they do. Um, because if they're not grounded in God's character, then God is, would be free morally to command whatever he chose. And whatever he chose to command would by itself automatically be right. This, this as far as I can tell, is more of an Islamic view. Mm-hmm. The term for this is called ethical voluntarism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it leaves God open to the charge of being capricious and arbitrary, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I think we ought to avoid. There are things that God can't command because he's bound by his character. Right. I say he's also bound by what, what I would call natural law. He's bound by what, uh, what the, the moral fabric that he's embedded into his world, too. Right, right. So, in other words, God... Uh, when people say, well, God can do anything, but what you're saying is he can't do anything that will go against his nature. That's right. Yeah, God is bound by his character. Right. Uh, well, thank you. And, that, and that's a good thing. Yes, I'm glad. That's a very good thing. <laughs> I'm glad that he's bound by his nature. Uh, it, it, for number one, it makes him consistent. It does. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, yeah, Islam sees that as, a, uh, as undercutting his sovereignty. But in my view, a, a, a sovereignty that leaves God free without any limits whatsoever is not really a, it's not a balanced sovereignty. That's a freedom to do whatever you choose. Right. Now, we would say, we, when, we, and when we say this, basically, we, this is what we mean when, when we say, well, um, you know, let's say that, uh, you know, if God commanded that we, torture babies for fun and profit, right? then simply by virtue of God commanding it, that would make it moral. Uh, but we would say a loving God would never command that. And what we're saying, in effect, is that God is bound by his character, and that puts limits and boundaries on wh- what kinds of things he can command. We have... Um about three minutes left, uh, Professor Ray, and I thank you so much for your wisdom. Sure. And the last question, which we get a lot here at uh, Ace Apologetics, is what do we do when man's law blatantly conflicts with God's law? You obey God's law. Um, I'll, give, I'll give you an example. I was, on a, I was being considered for a jury selection some time ago. And it was a murder trial, mm-hmm. and the judge was looking at my my information sheet that I'd filled out, and he said, uh, "So I, I see you teach at a religious college. 
I said, do you think you can follow the law? And I said, huh? You know, like, I don't exactly get where you're going with this. <laughs> and what he meant by that was, do you believe that there is a, a law that's higher than the law of the land? And so I said, well, respectfully, I do believe that there's a that the law of God is higher than the law of the land. Right. And I don't anticipate them conflicting. Right. But if they did, you know, I, I will be bound to obey the law of God. Um, one of the places where we're seeing this now is in Australia, mm-hmm. where um, the Australian government has just passed a law that would require physicians to do abortions. Hmm. Mandated? For, for, for women who are you know, come seeking their service. Really? Yeah. And I think that that's, I think, a bla- that, that's a clear example of a conflict between the law of God and the law of the land. And I think we are obligated to, you know, follow the law of God on that. Well, thank you so much for your time. And we appreciate you. And uh, hopefully um, we can connect again to get more of the uh, wisdom that's just dripping out of you. So we thank God for you, well, Professor Ray, and your ministry. Persis, thank you, brother. Good being with you, and uh, happy to join you another time. Thank you, and we'll we'll talk again. Okay, very good. Thanks. That's Professor Scott Ray. Uh, he's the dean uh, in the uh, Christian Ethics Department at Talbot uh, Seminary, and we thank him so much for extending his times and talents with us dealing with Christian ethics. With everything going on in our society today, from all of the Uh, rulings and uh, all of the uh, revelations in in the news from the major news uh, and and it affecting Christian worldview and in many cases blatantly going against Christian worldviews. It's important that we as believers understand the word of God, number one, and number two, to realize that we're called to be uh, not just uh, ambassadors, but invariably, as we are standing on Christ's principles, we become the conscience of the world. And if we don't draw the line according to what God has for us to draw, then the world don't have, don't see a difference and they really don't see an option. So thank you all for listening and please consider becoming a financial sponsor of sound reasoning. And we pray that you do for the truth's what so many others are doing for a lie, that you stand for uh, the real, genuine, authentic Christianity. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. 
I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcast.